And with that familiar anthem, it can only mean one thing. It's Sunday, and we're sitting in the studio recording the latest episode of The Bookworm <laughs> on FabRadioInternational.com, also available via StarburstMagazine.com. I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... Name Fires. So I sang that. You did indeed. <laughs> um, so on today's show, we are talking about books, because that's the entire point of the show. Nah. Uh, that and Today us. we're talking about fish Actually I'm talking about movie adaptations Or at least it will be eventually um, Probably, he said cynically uh, <laughs> Ernest Klein's Amada um, Which is the not a sequel at all to Ready Player One mm. I'm actually looking at a paranormal anthology um, Called Enthralled uh, Edited by Melissa Mar and Kelly Armstrong that, that's an anthology of paranormal stories rather than a book that actually floats above the table slightly. Oh, but, but it could float. Look, look. Ooh. It is oozing ectoplasm. Ooh. Anyways, <laughs> moving swiftly on. Uh, I think we've got some book news coming up. We have indeed. Coming up next, the book news. the world 24 hours a day this is family international If you're a regular listener to the show, you can vote for us on the UK Podcasting Awards. Even if you're not a regular view- listener, hey, this is your first time, vote for us anyway. What vote? Just as vote. Yeah. Love us. Of course, if you want to find out how, you need mm-hmm. to go on to the various forms of social media. We are on Tumblr, Facebook mm-hmm. and Twitter as Radio Bookworm. Put an at symbol or a slash or whatever you need to to get on there. We are Radio Bookworm on most forms of social media. We're not on Periscope because we're a radio show. But apart from that, we are on fact fact on social media. You can also get to us via StarburstMagazine.com. Um, that is the oldest magazine of cult entertainment mm-hmm. in the world. Are, are we not saying longest running? Yeah, longest, longest running. running. Longest running. It is quite, it's got good legs, has this magazine. Because it's been running for such a long time. But yes, uh, and you can also find us on fabradiointernational.com, obviously, which is probably how you're listening to us, or you might have got the podcast, or what I have you. <laughs> so there's all of that. We, we try and get through that nonsense every week. Yeah. We love week. comments, it's we love likes. Just come by, leave us a message, tell us all about come why by. you love books. Tumble us. Tumble us, indeed. Mm. Uh, you can also get in touch with us via the, this, this station uh, email address which is studio at fabradiointernational.com but only when the show is running live um, ok so news tell me all, tell me everything there's all sorts of well there's the really really exciting thing where I start going <laughs> about things because I really can't make a choice about this but let's start with some fairly straightforward stuff so Golance has acquired an explosive new science fiction fuller from um by Tricia Sullivan um, she was up for previous awards um, she's um, 
an RFC Clark Award winner, mm-hmm. uh, which, which is very nice, and gone on to basically gone. <laughs> we'll have you, uh, and have got to write and get another piece of sci-fi. It sounds like a sci-fi thriller. More. It sounds like you know, spy action. She's a really interesting person as well, wasn't she? Actually, last year she was. Yeah, I I, I really enjoyed her panels, um, and um, like her her view of the world and things dead interesting to listen to so her books I think reflect that um, but yeah it looks like the book is a quest for the salvation of earth for the secrets of the universe and for a sense of self and it follows the story of Pearl an angel who works for the resistance an organisation de- dedicated to improving the world by stealth by tiny incremental acts of kindness mm. I, I love this kind of this, this growing idea that angels and demons are kind of work like spy agencies mm-hmm. that you know you have it's, it's, it's touched on in Good Omens that you have like you know MI5 and CIA right next to agents of heaven and hell and that you also have like interdepartmental rivalries between, yes. between like Cupid's well, and Terrafin I, and I know um, I, I quite liked um, the there's um, a series of books by Rochelle Mead, uh, which is the Georgina Kincaid the Succubus series, and it's it's basically it's like angels are like the hippies, uh, the the demons, so hell and stuff. It's literally bureaucracy. It's all the paperwork, lawyery types, all of that. Those are the demons, and it's all really structured and like really sort of paperwork based, and it's a really really cool. Kind that of way like of looking been, at it. That sounds like it's been written by someone who really doesn't like paperwork. <laughs> uh, yes, like uh, everyone e- in the world. Evil Santa is at it again. Evil um, Santa. Santa. We should get like a sting for this. We should do. <laughs> we talk about George Orwell Martin so often. We should get an actual sting, or you know, we should try and get him to record something for us by asking him really nicely. Uh, it might happen. Probably won't. Um, he's got a new book out actually and Duncan Egg stuff is coming out very soon it's not the Winds of Winter but it is Duncan Egg so mm-hmm. uh, but that's all what the news piece is um, he is urging and we're using air quotes here we can only apologise because it is radio uh, every true fan of science fiction and fantasy for this year's Hugo Awards to protect help protect the integrity of the rocket <laughs> well a bit of a ridiculous way to put it uh, Santa in Save the Rocket Scandal <laughs> Basically, um, the Hugos are still happening. You've got until basically the middle of August, the early August. Um, you can become a member by throwing some money at Worldcon. Um, it's unlikely you'll be able to attend because it's in the States, in the middle of nowhere. Isn't it the far side of the States? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Washington State as opposed to Washington, D.C. But he's also uh, in favour of a Helsinki bid for 2017. Come on! Come on, Helsinki! If you've got approximately a spare £40-£50, you can apply to be a member of Worldcon and then you can throw another chunk of money in at the the Helsinki bid. And you can help Helsinki happen and that means that we'll have a Worldcon somewhere in Europe rather than than North America. Um, apologies to any of you who have at this point do not care about Worldcon but the short version is Worldcon is supposed to be for the world it's mostly in the States because American sci-fi dominates sci-fi when it comes to literature um, so most of the conservative of a small c Americans who attend it tend to bias towards American conventions mm-hmm. um, even though that there's always a bid somewhere else so there was a bid last year for China that failed um, there's a there's loads of bids this time around for somewhere that isn't the States but there is a chance that it'll be in DC which is ugh. 
I think, to be honest... A bit it, far to travel for most people. For most people. Whereas we can get to Helsinki. We it's can. We totally, we totally, totally can. Helsinki! We can get to Helsinki for under 100 quid. Can and, we? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Quite, quite easily. We turn, it won't be fast. But we, <laughs> you know, we, we can get there and we can get back. It's not, terribly, it's not that expensive. Uh, anyway, it'd be a road trip. Ooh. Road trip! So, so if you want the bookworm to do a series of road trip, uh, we, we should totally like just record random conversations about books and uh, on our journey. I can <laughs> see it working. We should, we should absolutely. If we're still around, we could do like a road trip across Europe uh-huh. and pick books that are set in those locations and talk about them. Oh, I've got a, some perfect one. See, this is why I'm the producer of this show. It is a fantastic idea, but if we do Europe in autumn, that goes very badly wrong very, very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Which reality are we in? I have no idea, but we're being attacked by criminals anyway. Right, no, let's <laughs> let, let, let's come to that problem when we get to it. Um, the British Fantasy Awards shortlists are up. Uh, we aren't attending the British Fantasy Awards because we get to go to a lot of events, but unfortunately we're probably going to be broke by the time we get to the <laughs> October. Yeah. Um, so, the British Fantasy Awards are up. Um, I'm going to have a very mini rantlet at some point during this. But okay. anyway... Be prepared. It, it's a fantastic. There, there is a fantastic list of really, really, really cool stuff on the British Fantasy Awards. Um, best anthology, Alchemy Press are up for a thing. Uh, oh, John Edwards is really good. Indeed, um, best anthology. Um, Lightspeed is also up for best anthology. The Spectral Book of Horror Stories. It's a Spectral Press. They're also really good. Greyfire Press mm. are up for a thing as well. Basically, it's a really good. It's a really good slice of the the UK book scene, uh, which is what you would expect from the British Fantasy Awards. Mm-hmm. Um, best artist Sarah Ann Langton is up for best cover. Mm. Um, she does these marvelously kind of surreal photo montage things. Yeah, uh, absolutely adorable stuff. I really, really again, really, really uh, rate it. Um, Yavi uh, Tidar is up for Black God's God Kiss in Best Collection, um, as is as is a whole host of other people. Mm. And right, okay, we're going to skip past comic books. Oh, oh really? Oh, okay, shall we not? Uh, Granville, Brian Talbot, Cemetery Girl, Charlotte Harris. Oh. Do you see what I mean? It's just one of those ones. You look at Saga by Kian Vaughan, set in yeah. Brian Lee O'Malley. How do you pick? No, you, you just yeah. Uh, oh, how, how do you how do you pick between Brian Halbert, who's the David Bowie of comics, <laughs> and and Brian Lee O'Malley, who is awesome, who is awesome, <laughs> like just, uh, they're all awesome. Who's also you know a, a, a modern rock star of comics. Oh, the Wicked and the Divine's up as well. Exactly, Kim oh. and Gillen. Uh, talking of rock stars, mm. um, and then we get to the big one, the Robert Holstock Award, the best fantasy novel. <sighs> Oh, breathe. By, by, oh, by Katie, Davis. Katie Davis. And Cuckoo's Song by Francis Hardage. Oh. Edward Cox is the one. And My Dreaming by Lavita Oh, jeez. Yeah, how do you pick? Um, it's just an amazing, amazing collection. Best horror novel The End by uh, Gary McMahon, who is fantastic. Oh, we, The we, Girl with All the Gifts. The Last Plague, we're talking Station Eleven, of course, Station Eleven. Uh, the she genre, damn it. Because <laughs> it's not boring, therefore it's not literature. What? Um, therefore it's not 
What? Not it's not the genre of lit rather than literature. Every all books are literature. But um, uh, if you want to complain and disagree with that, please contact us via the normal social media <laughs> nonsense. This was that was but, one of the talks at Edge Lit, wasn't it? About yeah. the differences between dream, dream literature best and genre. Film. Best films, all right. Um, but best independent press: Alchemy Press, mm-hmm. Newcom Press, Spectral Press, yeah. Fox Spirit Books. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to have a slight, slight whinge at this point. Um, okay, so. Best fantasy novel. Um, the Guardian reported on best fantasy novel. Mm. Oh, this made you very angry. It made me quite angry. And the way they reported it was this. Um, Yavitidar leading the way on, on the British Fantasy Novel Award. They're all equal, by the way. No one, no oh, one, yeah. one is more significant than the other. But because the chap at the Guardian had read A Man Lies Dreaming... He was like, oh, it's obviously RV to die. And it's like... It's not obvious at all awesome. And then he goes on to say Breed, which is about a man looking for a sword. Uh, sorry, what? You, have you read the book, dude? No, clearly not. Absolutely clearly not. Uh, I think he described Cuckoo's Song as a children's book. And I'm <gasps> sitting there thinking, right, this guy... Your this, bias is showing, my friend. Uh-huh. He, he might as well just put, my mate Larvy might win an award. He should, you know. No, no, sorry. I mean... Okay, I have a lot of respect for Yavi Tidar's work. And he is, by by accident of design, become a little bit of a darling of a certain circle. Mm. And that's a certain circle that seems desperate to be legitimised. Mm. And I don't care for that nonsense. I, think I don't know. I think there's loads of really great books in all of the categories and there's never, you know, a sure winner. Um, and, you know, to be fair, I think... I I I I'm going to be really like um off part and say Cuckoo Song totally win. But I think Cuckoo or Song Breed, or, Breed or, or Breed. Cuckoo Song. Yeah, I um, think they're both amazing. I'd be I'd be hacked off if he argue wins. Um yeah. no offence to the book, it's a good book. Um he's written better and he's won awards for better. And if the reason he wins is because someone on the judging panel's like, oh well, it would be more uh, appropriate for the award and blah, blah blah, rather than quality of the work. It has to come down to the quality of the work, and he is up against some brilliant stuff this year. Absolutely brilliant stuff this year, and just to uh, just uh, that that Guardian thing really annoyed me. Oh, just to offhand, it's fine. It's it's one one newspaper. Just to offhand, just just discount. All of these fantastic books. Yeah, the, uh, the problem is it, it may just be one newspaper, but it's the one newspaper that's kind of reporting on yeah. our subject area to a wider audience, unfortunately. And, and it's it's got that it's got that whiff of I don't want to say establishment, but that whiff of kind of you know your media media curation where one person is, has curated reputation, so therefore they've got a better chance. And it's like that isn't mm. fair, just because. You have a better influence and more influence because of your work doesn't mean that you should have a better chance at winning anything. Nah. Um, it should be balanced. It should be. It should be on the the weights and measures of the work itself, n- and nothing else. But any award ceremony is rarely about that, isn't it? Yeah, unfortunately. True. True. But, um, and it also, you know, it taints the the, the, the hard work 
But um, and and also, <laughs> one of these days we'll have a conversation about um, Lavi Tidal's statement that steampunk is fascism for nice uh, for nice middle class people. But not today. It is not this day. Not this day. So, but yes, lots lots of awesome categories, lots of great work from people. It's going to be interesting to see how it goes. Shall we? Shall we do some reviews? Let's do that. Oh, oh, blimey, before we forget. Before no, we forget, Jonathan Green's Kickstarter is uh, a success. Uh, Nightmare and uh, Alice's Nightmare in Wonderland? Yes. It's an adventure novel. It's a choose-your-own-adventure novel featuring Alice. Yee. It sounds marvellous. It's uh, going to be fun. If anyone can do it, it will be Jonathan Green. Yeah. Frankly. Not he, that Jonathan Green, the other Jonathan Green, by the way. Yeah. If you're getting all confused. Because <laughs> you know, may, stole, may have just stolen Ed's best joke of the, of the show. <laughs> oh, sorry. Is that why you're pulling that puppy face? I, I, w- I was about to make an entire co- uh, conversation about <laughs> congratulations on Paper Towns as well. But, uh, <laughs> okay, so, so moving we're on. moving swiftly on. Moving very swiftly on. After some messages, which could be a bit strange because they've changed all the adverts on the system. <laughs> Yeah, I did say some of those adverts might go a bit odd. <laughs> they, they were quite strange. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and yet again, listeners to the podcast are sitting there going, there was just silence there. It, it, it you're like lucky. two-second break. You're lucky. You're very, very, <laughs> very lucky. What on earth were they? Uh, anyway. Anyhow. Uh, I, I, I fear for the future. I really do. Well, that's just me. Uh, talking about the future... Mm. Ernest Klein's Amado, which came out this month, um, is about the future and about the past. So, we've talked about this before because we thought it sounded quite exciting. Um, Zach Lightman is, is a young man who um, is a troubled young man. He's a troubled young man. He's quite good at video games. He's very good at video games, apparent. And his friends are as well. And he's on his way out of high school. He's he's kind of, kind of trying to keep his head down. And one of the reasons he's trying to keep his head down is because he's a bit of an old chap. And when he was pushed too far at school, he 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 did that classic snap, and he um he, yeah, he got in a big fight and all the rest of it. So now these days he tries to keep his head down and tries not to get in trouble because he knows he has a temper. And the other reason he he tries to keep himself to himself is this: his father passed away when he was very young. Unfortunately, his father passed away in a sewage explosion, mm. which made him a bit of a target from slightly crueler children. Um, but he discovered his father left him basically everything, and it was a whole load of DVD, not DVDs, v- DVDs and VHS, and all the sorts of pop culture, Star Wars references that someone in their forties might enjoy. <laughs> so, so this kid has has essentially raised himself on all sorts of pop culture, ga- pop culture movies, games, comics, this sort of thing. So he's very educated when it comes to all things Star Wars going forward, mm. which you know for a modern teenager is kind of remarkable. Yeah. So uh, he knows all about this old st- stuff, and he knows all about this new stuff as well. Um, and you know, his his, 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 his the settlement for for his father's demise has kind of set his his, his him up slightly. He's not uncomfortable. You know, they're not in poverty. They're doing okay. His life's doing okay. His his general everything is fine. Um, the problem, of course, is that um, 
Zach has uncovered a pile of papers from his father about a military conspiracy involving video games. Mm. And the assumption that he's made is simply this. His father must be completely and utterly nuts because it's all total nonsense. He basically sits there and goes, you know, Star Wars and the last Starfighter and the faculty and all these movies, there's a military conspiracy, there's aliens, blah. And he's like, okay, I think my father was crazy. Mm -hmm. I'd better be careful because I've also had some personal issues myself and I could also be crazy. And then he's sitting at school trying to keep himself to himself and he sees an alien spaceship. Not just not not does he just see an alien spaceship. He sees an alien spaceship from the video game he plays all the time. He's obviously going yeah, crazy. That's not good. So he's clearly going nuts. Now, Zach's life is it's this weird fantasy that he has in the sense that he he lives this kind of teenage boy. Well, no, he he. Do you know exactly what it is? He lives he lives the life that. When I was a teenage boy, if I was living this life, I'd be like, this is the best life ever, sort of thing. And I suspect a lot of chaps in their 30s and 40s would, reading this book would be like, yeah, that's a really cool childhood, sort of thing. It's about the fact he doesn't have a dad. Um, but, you know, small things. But small things. Um, and the fact that people fear him because he's a bit of a loony. But apart from that, you know, great childhood. One of the things, he's, his, his, his part-time job is at a game store. The game store's run by this crazy millionaire guy who doesn't really care. He gets to sit and basically at work play video games all day with his mates. He's got this great video games rig. Um, yes. Then it all... Then the, the, So that's the first, I would say, 70 pages or so. Mm-hmm. That's, that's kind of the introduction to it. Mm-hmm. And you sit there and you go, this is an interesting examination of retro culture, of video games, of wish fulfillment. This could be really good. And then it takes a massive veering to the left. <laughs> we get to a certain point in the novel where suddenly every single every single thing that maybe or maybe could could be, you know, every single doubt we have is completely 100% cleared and it turns into a Spielberg movie. No. So it, it just takes this total veering. And I'm not spoiling the book because it, it, it's telegraphed all the way through. Mm. And it just takes this total turn. And you just sit there going, okay, this is not what I thought it was. This is not as involved as I thought it was. And I'm going to be really harsh. It feels like Ernest Klein, Klein at some point, while he was writing this, went, do you know what? I could write this book or I could turn it into a pitch for another movie. I've just sold the rights to Ready Player One and Steven Spielberg's making it. <laughs> I, I, ah. I know. Here, I'm going to insert some bits that would be really good with CGI. Ah. And, and they are just pieces of this book where you sit there and you go, dude, where, how did we get from here to here? I mean, I can obviously I can see the story arc, but why have you wasted all the potential that you've built at the start? Ah. Why, why have you suddenly decided to make this... Uh, it is thick, layered thick with pop culture references mm. um, there's there's little bits in there such as uh, there's his father's jacket which has all the really rare Activision patches on which he wears so the main, char- so the main character has this look of this retro cool character there's a there's a subplot that starts off with his ex-girlfriend that suddenly suddenly just massively rapidly abandoned mm. um and instead it's replaced with uh, another female character that we meet who merely exists to be a romantic interest she's a she's a she's a strong female character <sighs> with a with a gamer chick aesthetic and oh, she 
she you know she's very tall and she's very pale and she oh my word make it stop make it stop i had this i had this this revelation when i was thinking about this book that all of the female characters are either family or love interests and the family members are also described in leering detail um all of all of um all of Zach's friends fancy Zach's mum because that's not disturbing at all. Ah, uh, did I enjoy it? Really, no. <laughs> oh no! I really enjoyed it at the start, and there's bits of it that I really enjoy. There are some great action scenes that are very well written and a great amount of fun. Um, it reads. Unfortunately, it does read like a cinematic novel. Unfortunately, it reads like a shooting script. Like it's trying too hard. Like it's a pitch for a movie. It feels like a movie pitch. There are some really, really nice bits, but other points you just sit there and you go, why? Why when the stakes are so high? Because trust me, the stakes are very high. When the stakes are so high that they're already trusting these idiots. (laughs) They would do this in a Hollywood movie. And the thing is, he keeps trying to lampshade all of this. So he keeps trying to say, oh, these are the reasons. And you sit there going, those are terrible reasons. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we don't like this reason. So I, I will lampshade this by drawing attention to the the whole the whole Hollywoodness of the the, the thing, and then explaining it this way. No, that's no, mm. no, still no. Um, if that okay, if you hadn't read that book but watched that as a movie, what would you think? I'd I'd be munching popcorn. I'd be like, because the start of the movie, the start of the book wouldn't be the same as the movie. It would be like have five minutes of that. Yeah, it would be the total thing would be he'd be in like. He, I can imagine it now. He would be in the playground area, recess area, whatever they call it in the States. Uh, the alien spaceship would come down. Another spaceship would come down. There'd be a whole kind of bunch of Secret Service agents. There'd be a whole thing. And then off we'd go into the realms of adventure. The call to adventure would happen very early on because mm-hmm. that's how that's how a Hollywood blockbuster movie script works. Mm-hmm. Um, we wouldn't have any of this build-up. We might, you know, we might have five, ten minutes. We'd meet his mates. We'd see all this, yeah, you know, these yeah. various bits and pieces. You know, maybe the the female lead character would be in high school instead, and all the mm. rest of it. But it would very quickly turn into a kind of action flick. Action flick of of the likes that it's sort of the thing that we've always been promised by Spielberg. Sort of the thing that we've always been promised by that sort of movie that we've never Sad quite got there. there good fortune. I am. <laughs> Do you know what it is? It's not as nice as Flight of the Navigator. Oh, I love Flight of the Navigator. It, it's and you know those movies of those Explorer. elk, you know, explorers. Oh, it, it it's it doesn't have the same magic, and the reason it doesn't have the same magic is because it's so obsessed with the past. It's so obsessed with video games, and it's so obsessed with, and it's supposed to be a video game book. But it's so obsessed with that kind of nostalgia, wasn't it? You know, wasn't it really good that kids played video games? Didn't it train them to save the world? What? <laughs> So no. it's, a, it's it's been seen a bit, It's it's been done a bit and probably done better. But it would still be kind of like a fun flick for people to watch. Imagine Flight of the Navigator with... Not Flight of the Navigator, imagine The Last Starfighter. Mm. But without the same sort of charm. Well. Um, and a more kind of retro pop remix appeal to it. Um, and all of this would have been fine. All of this would have been fine. Had, had the ending worked, but it doesn't. Um, and obviously no spoilers here but 
if if you if you do get to read this book, let me know what you think of the ending because I hated it. Uh, I hated the ending in, in in a way that made me go back and read a whole load of old. Ni- it's a little good thing about this. It made me go back and read a whole load of old nineteen fifties short stories and old nineteen fifties adventures. Um, so I could so I could get into that kind of you know I could go back to mm. where the source material where these ideas come from. So, um, coming up next, I think we've got an interview. Ooh, who, who are we interviewing today? Um, we, well, we'll do that in a moment after this. <laughs> Across the world, 24 hours a day. So I was very lucky enough to talk to E.L. Kennedy about her latest Doctor Who book. This is Fab Radio International. E.L. Kennedy, welcome to the bookworm. Hello, hiya. And what can you tell us about the Droysten's curse? Uh, Doctor Who book uh, set in Arbroath uh, with the fourth Doctor, uh, the Tom Baker Doctor, because that's kind of the one I remember most fondly from being a kid. I actually got the whole of John Pertwee as well, but um, I think Tom Baker was a good fit for me. Why the fourth Doctor? Uh, well, it was more the other way around. I think I, think I would have had to do... Um, a fourth doctor just because that was the one something about the way John Pertwee dressed kind of freaked me out he was still the doctor and I still liked him but I think I had vestigial very very early memories of Patrick Troughton and I think I preferred that kind of um, sort of foolish um, doctor so so Tom Baker worked better for me so um, I probably didn't think of any other doctor and then you're thinking well in this particular situation with these things going on um, how how would he deal with it and I wanted to set it um, in the days when they couldn't go anywhere else and it had to be on earth because it was cheap um, I wanted to, to kind of set it in the time period that was kind of my classic time period for for watching um, Doctor Who. So it's 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 on Earth, uh, which I never actually liked when I was a kid. I always liked it when they left Earth, but it's on Earth and it's um, 1978. The story is written in such a way that you can almost see the set wobbling. Um, why did you take that approach? Uh, I think I just wanted, I wanted to, to kind of recreate what my... Um, what my most enjoyable episode would have been. So uh, I always like the mind control stuff. I always like the stuff where people were being particularly horrible to the doctor, flinging him to the ground. Like there were always two burly guys, one on either side of him, and he'd always get thrown to the ground. And I'd always get enormously upset about that. So there's a bit of throwing to the ground, um, bit of mind control, and sort of interior torment and temptation and that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, I just I just set it up to be everything that I would like. So it's kind of got that period feel, and yeah, this this the, it's it's not um well. I mean, the, the special effects now they could make them look quite whizzy, but yeah, they're they're, they're nothing too huge, probably. Why does the Doctor start out on his own in this story? 
I, I, because I, I love that. Uh, my favorite episode when I was a kid, and still one of my favorite episodes was the uh, well, the series with the Deadly Assassin, um, when they sort of called Tom Baker's bluff. He, he wanted to do it himself and just have whatever Doctor Watson was, the, whoever was standing next to him, to talk to and explain the plot, or that he would talk to himself. Like he's not, he doesn't look like somebody who wouldn't talk to himself or talk to the TARDIS. Um, so they sort of said, yeah, okay, then we'll give you a whole series. And of course, it's, it's actually really quite good. Um, so I, I said it just after The Deadly Assassin. Um, so he's kind of looking for quite a mellow time um, to recover from the horrors of all of that. And um, again, I always liked as a child, the bits where you knew he was going to get a companion. You knew by the end of the series he'd have clocked at least one person. Uh, and you, you always kind of knew that it would be somebody who wasn't enjoying their life that much and they had quite loose roots and, uh, who you know, he was going to give the chance to be in the TARDIS to somebody who would really appreciate it. And I kind of loved that. And also, you know, I'm sitting on the carpet at home going, take me, take me. Um, so I wanted that to be there as well. I mean, not that I wouldn't have enjoyed... I also couldn't. I, I couldn't decide what which uh, assistant to give him. Actually, he had so many because Sarah Jane's so great um, and Layla's so great. Um, you know, if I did another one, I would decide. Will we see any more Doctor Who from you? Uh, I, I haven't said anything formal to them, but I, w- I would like to, and I've got kind of half an idea that I need to cook. I mean, we'll see how this one goes, and if they would let me do another, I'd be very happy to. Yeah. What else are you up to at the moment? Uh, while I was writing this novel last year, I was also writing a novel for adults, a literary novel. Um, so that comes out next year. It's called Serious Sweet. Uh, and there's some non-fiction coming up, uh, radio drama coming up, um, odds and ends. But really last year was was big full-on heavy year because I was doing two novels simultaneously, kind of. And I'm not sure, but it might be interesting uh, uh, if you had nothing else in your life um, to read both novels kind of simultaneously or one after the other. To actually, they probably relate in some way. How different with the two projects? <laughs> well, Doctor Who's a lot more fun, but I, obviously everybody knows about it. Everybody's got an opinion about it. There's a whole, you know, Whovian universe of people. Um, so you knew that you would kind of have to please them, uh, but primarily I was I was aiming to to do something that I thought it would be responsible and fun and pleasant for some child um, was what I was aiming at, and that that I always feel slightly more responsible for things or slightly more under pressure if I'm writing for for young people, you know, adults. By the time they're reading me. You know, if they're ruined, I haven't ruined them. But I don't want to ruin a child um, by making them have an unpleasant reading experience. Um, so you felt that pressure and the pressure to get it right. And, and you know, it's it's a thing that I loved and I wanted to catch... Ooh, that. Um, I wanted to catch kind of the, you know, the real feeling and the excitement of uh, being with the Doctor and watching it. And kind of the thing that I, that I always wanted to get in, in, in the books, which was to be... You know, to to get more than the series. Um, some some of the uh, novelizations were quite literal, and so so you just got what you'd seen transcribed in a way. And I always wanted a, a bit more sort of thought and feeling. Um, so I tried to put that in. What other franchises stuff do you fancy doing? Ooh, um, would I? Well, I mean, I have written a 
a vampire sitcom for Radio Scotland, which was quite fun. Uh, so vampires were fun, but that's a sort of generic thing now. Uh, I loved the world of Babylon 5, but I'm perfectly happy that J. Michael Studinsky would continue to do that, <laughs> except he stopped. Um, but, I mean, the arc of that was extraordinary to think, you know, I will write five years' worth of these episodes and they will make sense and it will all come good in the end and I will explore things. Uh, from so many, I mean, that was just such a kind of um, ambitious project. So I kind of love that that's there. Warehouse 13, I would have loved to, to to write for, but then Warehouse 13 ceased to exist. And I thought that was almost, the atmosphere of that was very Hoovian. It was very uh, playful and, you know, intelligent and uh, kind of great. If you were trapped on a desert island with only one book for company, what would it be? Lordy. <laughs> Being, being, being a writer, unless I could make paper and uh, I'd probably be too busy trying to catch anything to eat, so I wouldn't want to waste my time making paper. I would, I'd probably want a blank book, to be honest, because I'd still want to write and I could probably make ink or something that I could scratch with. Um, but paper would be quite problematic. Uh, so if I, only had, if I really, really, really only had one book, either that was something with very big print and I'd write in between the lines. Uh, in which case, collector works of Shakespeare. Then you get Shakespeare, and you can write around the edges. And you've got loads of pages. Win-win. If you got to meet your 16-year-old self, what advice would you give yourself? Oh, my God. Uh, my 16-year-old self? I, I was very tense. I was very tense until I hit around about 28. So I would probably say to my 16-year-old self, it'll be okay. Um, try and have fun more. Um, and sort of follow follow your heart a bit more. Probably at that point I was wondering whether I should get involved with theatre, wondering whether I should do artistic things, and people were telling me not to. Um, so I probably have shouted before I disappeared, sod them, do what you want. Um, it will go quite well for you. <laughs> Simpsons or Futurama? Oh, that's so hard. Uh, uh, it has to be Futurama, you know, severed heads and jars and things. Yeah, Stan Bender. Yeah, got to be. And actually, some of the sci-fi ideas in Futurama are extraordinary. They throw away basically movie ideas in one episode. I mean, sometimes it's great. Spaceships or space stations? Oh, that's very hard. <sighs> oh, I suppose if I had to be... I suppose I'd want to be to have access to a spaceship, and then if I wanted to visit a space station, I could. Uh, and what's the point of being in space if you're stuck on a space station? Because it will just get invaded by something, or there'll be a creature in the plumbing that eats your brain, or yeah, best to have a spaceship. I think. Truth or beauty? Oh well, no, they are the same thing. Sorry, that's that's yeah. Uh... <laughs> Truth is beautiful, and uh, beauty is uh, the part of its essence is truth. So, yeah, that's like saying socks are socks. <laughs> I pick socks. <laughs> Amanda, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. This is Fab Radio International. Across the world. 24 hours a day.
Welcome back. You're listening to The Bookworm on Fab Radio International. I'm Nympha Hayes and you've just listened to the lovely Ed's interview. Um, she was lovely. Yeah. She, she's, I, I really liked that last question, I have, I have to say. You know, Truth or Beauty and she just turned it around on you. I haven't really heard anyone else do that. Uh, so, yes, really, really, really good uh, way of turning it around and really nice, really nice answer as well. Yay, AL Kennedy. <laughs> um, so, moving on, uh, my book for today is um, Enthralled, which is actually an anthology of paranormal stories. Uh, and now, I mean, I, I knew straight away that I, I was in, in for a really nice treat because it's edited by Melissa Ma and Kelly Armstrong, uh, both of whom are like two of my favourite writers, anyways. Um, but this this is a book that's a few years old, and and it came to be because a bunch of really awesome authors decided to do a tour, mainly throughout America and Canada, uh, and just get together and go and meet people and talk about their books and their worlds and and sign books and just literally just interact with their with their fans, um, which is really amazing. And it was called the Smart Chicks Tour, um, and so. The the book is dedicated to smart chicks everywhere, which I really love. Um, and yes, so the short stories all have um, obviously a paranormal theme to it. And it's really nice to see how the the different authors have sort of approached the paranormal. There's like some really sort of different um, different ideas going on in throughout the the um, the, the anthology, uh, but somehow the whole book just comes together really beautifully. Um, so you've got um, stories by obviously Melissa Ma and Kelly Armstrong, which are um, wonderfully are set in well-established worlds already. So Kelly Armstrong writes in the um, darkest powers world, so she she gives us a little um, story about um, Chloe uh, and Derek and all of the um, genetically manipulated kids that live in the other world um, and um, it's some really good fun and for people especially that are familiar with the with the trilogy already and, and the other world book uh, in general the other world stories um, there's a um, story by Claudia Gray Melissa Marr writes in the wicked lovely world um, and you get a glimpse of Keenan and, 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 and a little holiday that he takes and it's so cute. Um, anyways, um, so you've got stories by Carrie Ryan, Cami Garcia, Jackson Pierce, Rachel Vincent. Um, obviously, you've got um, Kimberly Dating, Ali Condi, Jessica Verde, Margaret Stoll, quite quite big names. Rachel Kane's contributor as well. Um, some of them sort of approach completely different sort of news worlds and as I said some of them go back and revisit some beloved characters and give us sort of little glimpses in in their lives um all of this it's really strange for me to find an anthology where I enjoyed all of the stories um but because they're so different in the way they approach the paranormal theme it keeps it like really fresh and and just it's such a pleasure to read through um i have to say i think the ones that stuck with me the most were giovanni's farewell uh, by claudia gray which is a really sort of romantic sweet ghost story um and for some reason actually ghosts i think the ghost stories in in the book were the ones that i enjoy the most um there's um a story about um well it's called gargoyle um so gargoyles but not as we 
technically know them so there's a different take on what a gargoyle is it's really interesting it's really hard to review short stories because you don't want to give too much away and then spoiler it um the third kind by jennifer lynn barnes was also a really big favorite and it's about destiny and you know big prophecies and and people that can change the world and you know celestial warriors and and people that have powers and can see into the future and protect us and all that kind of thing so it's a bit more action based um i think there was bridge by jerry smith ruddy that was really different because it's almost a long poem and it's from the point of view of a dead guy so again a bit of a ghost story and he was a rock star so really famous really young guy had a group with his brother and friends and stuff and um he's basically watching what's going on after he's passed away but it's written like it's, it's a poem so it's it's not you know prose as you read it you kind of it's almost like he's writing the very last lyrics to a very last song uh very very cool concept um i i loved all of them it's really hard to like pick favorites um but it's definitely one that i would say if you enjoy paranormal stories um and you want a sure sure entertaining book with a lot of well-established authors uh, that you know you are going to deliver really strong stories with really lovable and not so lovable characters and a lot of like interesting takes on what paranormal is uh, monsters it's monsters there's ghosts there's uh, people with esp there's there's all sorts everything is covered um there's the romantic stories there's the action stories there's a bit of everything like a really 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 strong anthology uh, that i really really loved and yeah pick it up it's unthralled edited by melissa mar and kelly armstrong and it's published by harper collins Sounds sounds. It's good. I loved fun. it. Really. So really is there it. is there definitely a, a like a, a a rhythm to the stories as presented? Oh yeah, I mean I'm I'm always really sort of in awe of people that can manage to take a bunch of short stories and just string them together and kind of create a a vibe for the whole book. Like it flows and it, it it's it's different and and then there's this theme of just it's enthralled so you're reading these stories and as you jump from one to the other there's this sense of wonder that just kind of links them all together like wow could this be my world could this be really there I I do prefer anthologies that are curated rather than collected yeah Um, Yeah. I mean sometimes sometimes you'll get a short story collection where they really have Kind of very carefully put the collect. You know, they've looked at what they want and they put them into a certain order so yeah, it works. Yeah. But when it's curated, there's been some feedback from from the you know whoever's curating the anthology, mm. and you get a kind of flow to it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know which way this went because obviously it was mainly a we got together for for a tour and then realised that actually we wanted to create something together, and each of the people that went to the tour contributed to this. But I think when you spend time and obviously they spend like weeks at a time touring around you kind of get into a flow with people and i think that's very much reflected in the book you can tell that these are people that love what they do that really wanted to deliver something special they're all you know 
really well practiced authors with a massive following it, it, it sounds, just works it sounds like it's curated like it's a collaboration of sorts yeah rather than rather than you do occasionally you know, the, the best science fiction collection of the 90s and it's, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's just like random stories yeah. all pumped in there that you know some of them are good some of them are less good this is all good like you'll find something you love in there and you'll find lots to like there's very little to dislike in Produ- fact I didn't find anything producer Al is waving at us I oh. think she's trying to land a plane <laughs> is, she, is she trying to land a, she's trying to land one plane that's a very special sign you just pulled producer Al <laughs> no no she's trying to land two planes <laughs> I think it was one and then two. Then they then two planes. <laughs> um, I think we might be running out of time. Oh, boozy. Across the world, the real alternative. Fab Radio International dot com. This is Fab Radio International. We gotta run. We've gotta run. So send your send your messages, um, complaints, happy news, and checks for money, cash. To <laughs> <laughs> to yeah, send us some of those. That'd be good. Yeah. To Radio Bookworm, uh, and we're available on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook, Facebook as well as stop I have been your host, Ed Fortune, and I have been your hostess, Nymphe Hayes. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International and Starburst Magazine. Presented by Nympha Hayes and Ed Fortune. Produced by A.L. Johnson.